Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, new fan of beef on Netflix. That's what I am this week, Paul. I don't know if you've seen it, but this show is insane. An A24 series. Ali Wong, I think it's a serious role. I haven't yes. seen it yet, but I am I'm eager to see it. And Steve Young, who was on uh, Walking Dead. It's like a dark comedy. So I'm, I'm late to the party. I did see The Whale this past week, and I got to say, I really enjoyed it. Brendan Fraser... I mean, what can you say? Best actor. I mean, performance of a lifetime. Well, you were on you were on a plane, right? You watched it on a plane. I watched it on a plane. It's a sad movie, but his performance and really all the performances were just very well done. And he, you know, he wore a fat suit, and there's some controversy about that. But taking that aside, just the fact that his performance, kind of resurrecting his career and what he's went through, it was really excellent. I, I recommend it. But it's sad. I might have to check it out on a plane because I feel like more emotional. You get the time you're sitting there. I will say, speaking of being up in the air on that plane, Paul, I saw Air, Ben Affleck's new flick with Matt Damon starring in it about the signing of uh, Michael Jordan for Nike's basketball line, introducing the Air Jordan. Phenomenal movie. Phenomenal movie. Everyone was amazing in it. Viola Davis, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck does a great job directing this. Highly recommend it. And I'd say, like, right now, it's it's just been a good couple of weeks for movies. It has been. You got John Wick 4, you got Air, Dungeons & Dragons, the big box office So hit. Dungeons & Dragons underperformed. I mean, there's a lot going on here, so uh, let me just... Uh, un- take- underperformed. Right. And then, obviously, the crown jewel of the week is uh, Super Mario Brothers. But let's go kind of in order here. So with Air, yeah. I know Ben Affleck is a great director. I mean, The Town, Argo... Gone Baby Gone. He's got so Gone many Baby movies Gone. that he's just like a phenomenal director. And then obviously they they wrote Goodwill Hunting. He didn't direct it. I think that was Gus Van Sant, but still, yeah. great director, probably better director than actor. Yeah. But it's really interesting because I mean, you say it's a great film. It's right around 40 million worldwide in box, which is not phenomenal. But Amazon acquired the streaming rights, right? So right, right. Right, the distribution rights. So Amazon is sort of they haven't said when it will appear on Prime, which I guess is to maximize the theatrical window. And I think the theatrical window is longer than most of the movies that go right to streaming or streaming quickly. Right, right. But they paid $130 million for it. So you factor that into the box. I assume that's close to the budget. And yeah. the thing that's unique about the film is that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are starting this new company, Artist Equity. Yes. And this is the first film yes. from Artist Equity. And... It's like life imitates art, right? As they say, because the unique thing in Jordan's deal was that he got a piece of every shoe, which was the deal point that his mom negotiated for. That was like the last issue. And Nike was not the big shoe company that it is now, right? Like it was actually kind of like they had bigger competitors. That was what set it apart to get a generational talent like Michael Jordan. And artist equity, they sort of want to echo that 
by giving talent participations or upside in the things they make, in the in the projects they make. It's not limited to on-camera talent. It would also be editors, directors. I don't know like to what degree all of the crew would be incentivized, but I think it's good, right? It's because you, you want the incentives to be in line. So people will be more efficient, more productive with their time. If they make a profitable film and they get a piece of that profit, then they're maybe more inclined to do their best. I, although I don't know how that works because I know like that used to be kind of the prevailing model before the rise of streaming, when, before the recent decline in theatrical, back end in television yeah. and, and film was heavily negotiated. Now a lot of the streaming platforms pay you the upfront fee and pay don't really you. give you a back end and they don't really disclose anything about you know the consumption data or subscription data on their platform. So this is really interesting and and good for them because I think that model makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I like the, I like that model. I think it's cool. I think it's on brand with the way the film is made. I will say I'm very surprised that it didn't make more money. I thought it was going to be everyone was going to rush to go see this movie. I saw it opening weekend. It was crowded. We all were cheering. But I, I don't know. Maybe people are just waiting for it to come on streaming. But it's not to say that the box office is dead because people are going to go, they're watching other movies. And if we continue going down the list. Right, exactly. I think this is a case of people, if you do a little bit of research, you know it will eventually be on Prime. And that's why maybe you can just wait to see it. And then, sure, like I think Super Mario Brothers, you know, kudos to them. Nintendo, yeah. Illumination, Universal. Yep. I don't think anyone was expecting this. I was not. I was expecting it. The critic reviews were were like middle, 50-ish yeah. percent on, on Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience was like 98% or like 96%. And the movie is done. Almost 700 million. Almost 700 million globally, almost 350 million in the US. And the second weekend, it made $87 million, which actually beats the previous lead, which was Frozen 2 in the, in the animated category. Yeah, highest grossing second weekend for an animated movie in the U.S. ever, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I think, you know, what's being talked about is that it's a fun movie. It's great for kids, and there hasn't been something for kids in a long time. Like, for families to go in, they got the nostalgia factor. So I think all in all, I haven't seen it yet. I'm planning on seeing it. I'm a Nintendo fan for the most part. I think it's cool that they also have that Tetris movie on Apple TV right now. Not that it's a Nintendo movie, but it's about... Which I've also heard good things about. Great movie. It's about uh, Nintendo getting the rights for Tetris the game. And then, you know, Nintendo has like a new Zelda game that's coming out that uh, if you go on TikTok, it's like there's a lot of buildup of Zelda games. So people are streaming, playing previous games. So Nintendo is having a nice little run here. And then, of course, we have John Wick 4, Mr. Keanu Reeves. That's done about $160 million in the box office. I went to go see it. It's a long movie. I really love the first one. I think I'm getting a little... I think I'm okay with more John Wick movies. Like, I'd be okay yeah, with watching they're, the first I one mean, over again. Good action, but maybe you don't want it to drag on too long. Yeah. I think with Super Mario, it's I think a lot of people in the critic space were thinking, well, how is there enough source material to really like make a movie out of this? Because yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like the characters yeah. are just, you know, they're so two-dimensional in the game. But, you know, Chris Pratt is really good at this, right? Because he was great in the yes. Lego movie too. Yes. And so maybe this is his thing. And Illumination also does Despicable Me and Sling franchises. So they're not like strangers to successful animated movies. Yeah, Minions. Yeah, the Minions. And they almost got to a billion with Rise of Gru, right? So Yeah, it, it's interesting. Look, it's like it's a good cast. 
It's uh, it's done well. If you remember, I don't remember if you remember watching this movie, but if you remember the first Super Mario Brothers movie back in the nineties with John Leguizamo, well, that's why Nintendo was so, was like so cautious yeah. about yeah. this because the nineteen ninety three one was terrible, so bad. It was so bad, and uh, it's so funny to look at it now. Um, and it's funny because John Leguizamo was saying that there was no like representation in the movie of like I guess Italian actors or Italian American actors and. It was funny because I don't think people really remember the first movie because it was so terrible. And I would think, you know, you don't really want to be associated with that movie, I'm assuming. But, you know, the next one I've heard, I've heard really great things. So I'm excited to check it out. And you know what? Great. I'm so happy to see that people are going to the movies and, and spending their money. Yeah, no, that was the thing because one of the, you know, themes we've talked about on the show a couple of times is box office going to recover to pre-pandemic levels. Marvel hadn't necessarily been performing to the level of Endgame, uh, certainly not with Quantumania, uh, Ant-Man Quantumania, but with Super Mario Brothers crushing it, right? Like potentially, who knows where it lands, maybe 800, I mean, 700 million after two weeks is is a lot of money. So clearly there's some demand there. Uh, Well, one thing to think about is that you have The Last of Us and you have Super Mario Brothers. So the last two video game adaptations to film and TV have been really, really good. And funny enough, Jack Black came out, Jack Black, who actually uh, plays Bowser, he came out and said they should do a Red Dead Redemption TV show similar to The Last of Us, which is, um, you know, a super, super popular game made by the same makers of Grand Theft Auto. So maybe we'll see like a new rise of video game adaptations. Sure. Maybe there's another you know, another thing to fill the void of superhero movies, if superhero movies yes. are sort of like waning. I don't know. I mean, I know Shazam didn't do that great either. Another thing, mid-April makes me think of a couple of things, right? So uh, tax day, unfortunately, or fortunately, yeah. I guess it depends. NBA playoffs and Coachella. Yep. So Coachella yep. is uh, happening, you know, in between this week and next weekend. And I don't know if you, I, I haven't been there in, since 2018, but I'd love to go. I mean, I've never been. It's a great festival, beautiful weather. Anytime you're in California in April, you know, it's, it's going to be a good time. Even though I couldn't make it in person, they did live stream this year. Everyone was going to have a live stream because you can sell merch, you can have advertisements, and you might as well, right, if you're capturing the video. And it's really high quality on YouTube. They have all six stages. It's very high quality. But it's just not the same, right? Yeah. And I think no one would say it's a, it's a, comp or it's a you know it's like even really competitive with the physical experience of being there but it's probably better than nothing and i mean it's such a great lineup i think it's definitely better than nothing yeah. is it, it i, I yeah. think that like i would watch it i did watch it but i watched it for like 10 minutes and then it's like okay well i got i'm gonna go do something else well i've been on tiktok and there's a ton of content on tiktok because there's a thing now the trend is you go and you rate your day at Coachella. So they are rating the different artists. And it's a really great way just to kind of sift through and see like, oh, who would I watch on the live stream? Because people are basically telling you like, this was a great artist. This show performance was great. The lighting was good on this one. But it was interesting because I did just check out, they put it on for free on YouTube, obviously, because they have sponsors. And it's interesting. They got some pretty big names sponsoring the show. Just, it was curious. Yeah, Bad Bunny, Blackpink. Frank Ocean were the headliners. Calvin Harris, Eric Prids, who I really like. Yeah. Last night, I, I couldn't sleep. So it was like, I don't know, two in the morning or three in the morning. And I was going back and forth between Blackpink, Eric Prids, Calvin Harris. And it was fine. I mean, it's definitely not anywhere near equivalent to being there, but it yeah. was like, it took me back for sure. And I think if you have a nice setup, 
like with either good headphones or, you know, good sound system, like maybe it can get kind of close, but certainly better than nothing for sure. Yeah, I saw there was a lot of, because um, there's a Blink-182 reunion right now with the original lineup, and that's been all over TikTok. It always took over my TikTok page. And I was a fan. I used to listen to them back in, in, in high school. And the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, they do the live performances, and they're super, you know, crude and crass. And so I think What's a, my lot, age a again? new like generation... My <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like in between yeah. songs, they're doing this banter. And I think Gen Z was like a little confused, like what was happening on because they're super inappropriate. But all the comments were basically people my age saying you clearly haven't heard, you know, the Mark, Tom and Travis show. And it's been fun to see like the mix of, you know, age uh, in, in this case, like I'm learning about a bunch of new bands. So I'm going to I'm going to check out the live stream just to I'm getting a little old with my music. I think I need some new stuff to listen to. So this will be a good way for me to explore. Well, I'll say this. The lineup is is insane. It's if you like EDM, it's like there's plenty of EDM acts. If even if you don't, like you can just put it on and and see what you like and to get a sample, but it's not going to be as as immersive as if you were there. Yeah. But it's like I said better than nothing. Well, let's take a quick break and come back with an update on HBO Max or soon to be called Max. So, Mesh, you know, we talk about streaming a lot. One of our favorite platforms is HBO Max, which has a lot of great shows like Succession, Last of Us, Game of Thrones. I really like Chernobyl, but there's tons of shows. And uh, it's been undergoing some changes because Warner Brothers and Discovery merged and the new head of WBD, Dave Zaslov, aggressively cutting costs and changing HBO Max. And, you know, he canceled some shows move some others to free ad-supported streaming, and they're going to focus more on profitable subs as, as opposed to the growth at all costs. And they also have Discovery Plus, which is Discovery Streaming Service, which is a completely different content yeah. offering. That's more like reality yeah. TV, Food Network, Home and Garden, Magnolia. And so before the transaction closed and once it closed, they announced that they were at some point in the future going to combine the services. They weren't sure what the pricing was going to be or what it was going to be called. But now they've announced yep. that. So May 23rd, HBO Max will rebrand as Max. It will have most of the Discovery Plus content in it for the same price. But there's going to also be Max Ultimate, which will be 20 bucks a month. Yeah. Uh, you can buy it yearly for a 17% discount. And that will have basically what you have now in HBO Max. But you're, they're going to charge extra for 4K content, and they're going to give you Man. up to four simultaneous streams. Right now, you can get three simultaneous streams for the price of $15.99. Now they're going to change the price to $19.99 for the ultimate tier, where that has four simultaneous streams. You could stay where you are at the same price, get max with Discovery content, but you're not going to necessarily get 4K. Now, now when you say um, you get... Four additional streams. Does that mean your like family can share with you? Is that was that what that means? Well, that yeah. So it's simultaneous, right? So let's say you live in a house or right, uh, right. you know apartment. You could be watching on your laptop. Yes. Someone could be watching on the okay. TV. Someone else could be watching on their tablet. So four at once, simultaneously. Right now it's three. Starting in May, it'll be two unless you pay the extra and then you can get four. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of HBO. It's sad to see the name keep on changing, but I was, you know, thinking about it and and I was reading about it and obviously the decision to do this is HBO's got such a great brand. 
HBO is associated with adult programming. And, you know, if they really want to compete with Netflix and Disney, this thing has to be much bigger than just even though the 80 million, I think it's 80 million subscribers on HBO Max oh, right was, now. I thought it was 100. Okay, so in that range of like 80 to 100, yeah. if they want to be significantly higher than that, they have to now appeal to a, lar- uh, a much larger audience and like families and stuff need to feel comfortable with, you know, hey, I'm not letting my kid watch HBO. And so I, it's interesting to drop the HBO brand from the whole streamer, but I'm assuming like when we're watching the show, like if it's going to be, it's you're still going to see the HBO thing. It's going to be more like HBO is a studio. That's how it feels to me or the production house behind certain shows. I can't imagine they're just going to get rid of HBO. You know what I mean? There's some renderings of the user interface, what it's going to look like online. And it seems to me like, you know, from a branding perspective, I get it because what they're saying, like as you said, you know, HBO has a certain expectation, yeah. right? Its brand is high quality adult entertainment, you know, Sopranos, Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones, you know, amazing shows, Last of Us, Last of Us, but adult oriented. And so I guess what they're thinking is anyone that was a fan of HBO probably already has HBO Max. Yeah. But for someone that might be on the fence, like a family that thinks HBO is too edgy for their kids, they want to call it Max. So they don't think they'll lose any current subs. What they'll do is they'll gain more people that want family and children content. And there is some content that is like animated, but it's really more adult, like Rick and Morty. It's like South Park's on there now. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, you know, that's right up my alley. Uh, I mean, I I love South Park. The season's been amazing. And it's actually nice to finally see it on the HBO platform. But I think this sets us up, Paul, for what, you know, what we're going to talk about next is that, Part of their plan to reach a much larger audience, especially families, et cetera, is, you know, there's the announcement of the TV series, a live action based TV series based on Harry Potter and the, obviously some of the biggest book franchise, uh, I, I don't know, ever maybe, um, you know, massive, massive industry. And they're going to be launching this on the Max platform. I think they have it planned for like to be spread over the course of a decade. It's been 15 I years. I saw that. Yeah, they're planning. It's like a 10-year yeah, series or something like that. Like each season follows the books and it's a whole new cast of characters. Uh, sorry, actors who are playing the characters. Right, yeah. So they're going to recast, obviously, because the right. the film franchise was eight films, grossed $7 billion worldwide. Yeah. So incredibly successful. Yeah. But it's a little convoluted because the rights also got licensed to Universal. So the movies are streaming on Peacock and and HBO HBO Max. Max. And Universal has some theme park rights. They own the underlying IP, right? Sometimes, In some way, J.K. Rowling's involved because she wrote the book. So she's somewhat involved in this. She's an executive producer. But they want to create something new. So David Heyman, who produced the films, is in talks to executive produce the series along with J.K. Rowling. And I don't think the deal's done, but what he said is that the first season is expected to have a $125 million yeah. budget, which is high, that's right? That's Game about of, what I think they spent on- Game of Thrones, right? Uh, Game of Thrones might actually be higher than that. I, I think it's around there, yeah. right? And I mean, it depends on how many episodes, but you could say 12 million an episode. If it's 10 episodes, that's that's a very high budget, but it's Harry Potter. Yeah. So they're going to spend- Built in audience- Huge audience, built-in fan base, like we said, the multi-billion dollar film franchise. So it makes sense that they would want to really hit this out of the park. And they said, he said, you know, we're going to have to spend whatever it takes to have a great high quality product. And, you know, you have to spend on your aces. And that's the thing, right? This is underlying intellectual property. 
Zaslov's no dummy. He knows, you know, invest in the franchises, invest in the IP, invest where you know your fans will be there and make it great, right? And that's yeah. And so we talked about in episode 209, we talked about the Harry Potter video game, which had at that point made almost a billion Hogwarts Legacy. Hogwarts Legacy. It wasn't without controversy, only because J.K. Rowling is controversial in her comments about transgender people and sort of, or maybe just outdated what I don't think she's intended to start controversy. But the point is there are people on both sides of that. There's the fans of the game that want to play it. And then there's also people that are just like, hey, we need to be more accepting of, of different cultures and different views and different identities. You know, so that that chorus of people is going to be there. So HBO kind of sidestepped the whole J.K. Rowling thing. They're like, yeah, she's involved. She wrote the books, but we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, and I look, and I think that's, I personally respect that. And I think it's like, let's focus on the fact that we're getting more Harry Potter. I think that's what matters at the end of the day. Like, it's a fantastic cast of characters, great stories. People love it. We're going to see it in a different way. And it just goes, I mean, we talked about Super Mario Brothers earlier. It just goes to show you can have a whole new fan base and then a nostalgia base. Put that together. A lot of dollar signs. Wednesday is a good example of that. Wednesday, you know, Adam's family being such a big in the 90s, you had Adam's Family being super popular. You had it being popular back in the, even way before that when the original series came out. Right. And you saw how well Wednesday did. And you had all these, you know, the way they did the characters, very inclusive. So I imagine Harry Potter is like that, but on a much larger level. And I think it's cool. I mean, it's a it's bold to say you're going to do a 10-year series. Yeah. <laughs> like, normally, the way things get to 10 years is by having like a very successful like first six or seven. Yeah. And then... It's like you keep making more. Because I'm just thinking on like the business affair side of that. You're trying to find Harry Potter. Are you doing a 10-season deal yeah. with him? Like That's just very lengthy, right? So- I wonder if that's more like they're looking at it like we are launching the streaming platform. We need something really, really big and to be with us for the next God knows how long because we don't want to lose it to somebody else. God forbid. And what better thing to bet on? Well, they have the IP. I don't think they're going to necessarily lose it. The question is, like, I think maybe they want to be clear that they are committed to telling all of the stories in the books, right? Like in detail, because there's a show that I really loved called The Expanse, which was on sci-fi, then on Amazon. And it was based off of a book series by James S.A. Corey. And it was nine books plus a bunch of novellas. And so I thought it would be like a 10 season show, 10 or 11. But they stopped after season five because it was so expensive. Ah, interesting. And I, as a fan, I was bummed by that. But it was just a very expensive show. Although I loved it, I guess it didn't take off the way they wanted it to. So I guess if you're a Harry Potter fan, I mean, it's, it's apples to oranges because the film franchise was so successful. It, and I would assume, like, let's say estimated cost 125 for the first season. If this thing is as popular as that they're hoping, you'd expect that number to go up potentially each season. And the other thing is that we think about Harry Potter, the movies... I mean, that was over like a decade span from what I remember. Like the first like the first movie came out based on the book. Yeah. And that was over 10 years. And I, I think I saw almost all of them in the theater. And obviously that last one, Deathly Hallows, was put into two movies. So it clearly worked. And obviously, and I think also with the Hogwarts legacy. Yeah, thing. no, it did. It did. In hindsight, it worked. You wonder if the movie, if movies like two, three, four didn't perform, would they have made all eight? I don't know. That's a good point. And, and I wonder... Yes, I think you, they probably will spend the same amount or more for subsequent seasons. But I part of me wonders, like, couldn't you just keep some of the sets? And couldn't you, like, do you have to build everything over again? 
But you know, if you put, if you put it in the budget, they'll figure out a way to spend it. I mean, and I wonder too. Like Hogwarts Legacy was such a success, and, and I think it just clearly shows that this IP is so so powerful. There's a lot of people that yes. want more and more and more, and they're like, "Give me more." I honestly, I didn't even think about it in my head. Like, oh, would they ever just read, you know, do a new version of Harry Potter? And I don't know if you ever seen the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I, I think it's called that on Broadway. It was a two-part Broadway show. Oh, right. No, I haven't seen it, but I know that that is... It's insane. And it, the production value is absolutely insane. And it, I think in the beginning, it was over the course of seven hours. You spend the whole day watching it. You get a break. But it took place much later on. And it's interesting to see how they expand on the stories and the characters. So I think there's a lot of room to run with this. Clearly. And so does Dave Zaslov. So uh, I guess off to the races with Harry Potter. Off to the races. Let's take a quick break and then let's get back with our story on the Washington Commanders selling for a cool 6B. So I'm a football fan. We talk about this a lot. Yeah. And I'm an Eagles fan. I've had the good fortune of being in the same division as the Commanders <laughs> who have been... A pretty bad franchise. Oh my god! Since 1999, Terrible. when Dan Snyder bought them, when he bought them, they were called the Redskins. Now they're the Commanders. We can get into sort of like the whole drama behind why he has to sell the team, everything that he's sort of done wrong. There's a congressional investigation, allegations of toxic workplace culture, financial misconduct, sexual harassment, all these different things. Poor playing conditions, treating players like badly, poor on-field performance. There's so many things. And he, in the end, to summarize, he's going to sell a team that he bought for $800 million in 1999 for something north of $6 billion. And actually, the, the $6.05 billion deal is only in principle. I don't think anything's been signed yeah. yet. And the rumors are that there's a, a bidder who's going to bid $7 billion cash oh, wow. for the same team. Oh, wait. So this is someone other than jo – are we talking about Josh Harris or are we talking about someone other than Josh Harris? So Brian Davis is a former Duke basketball player, D.C. native, D.C. area person. He apparently uh, – he started a, a a company that creates renewable energy assets. I don't know whether that's development yeah. or windmills or whatever it is. Apparently, he's going to submit a $7 billion cash bid this week. So wow. Josh Harris, I think they have a deal in principle. They have everything sort of like teed up in principle, but nothing's been signed. But the story is that Dan Snyder has agreed to sell the commanders for $6.05 billion to a consortium led by Josh Harris. Also has Magic Johnson and I think maybe one other yeah, person. There's, there's a guy. Josh Harris already owns the Sixers. Mitchell Rails, who's a, another billionaire yeah. um, from D.C. Real estate developer. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and Josh Harris is the one of the founders of the private equity firm Apollo. Right. And as you were, you were just saying, Paul, owner of the 76ers, uh, the New Jersey Devils. And so it, it is interesting because the cash deal thing is interesting because if you think about it, I mean, I don't think Josh Harris is just pulling out this cash. He has to raise it from other LPs like Magic Johnson and um, Mitchell Rails. Is that a cash thing? Are they getting financing from the bank against their assets? That's a bit unclear. And so if someone just comes in, can you imagine? That's like swinging, man. You come in and say, yeah, okay, fine. I'll do this deal, 7 billion cash. This, this is this whole thing with sports properties and the, the valuations are just going through the roof. So 
The most recent NFL franchise to sell prior to this was the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion, yeah. which was a record at the time. Uh, I just remember a handful of years ago, I mean, teams were selling for $2 billion or $1.something yeah. billion. So Dan Snyder, just to break it down, 1999, which coincidentally was also the first year of Coachella, he bought the then Redskins for $800 million, yeah. And that was the, the highest price paid for North American sports franchise at the time. Right. He's potentially going to do 7X, <laughs> yeah. 8X on that. And he was the worst owner in the NFL in that time period. Yeah. He had the team is has the lowest attendance of any team in the NFL. They only won two playoff games in his tenure. Jeez, man. They have been like horrendous. There've been so many scandals and leaks and like I said a congressional investigation he's kind of dodged in fact the NFL owners were on the right. verge of having a vote to oust him from the right. league last fall and he's still being he's still coming up 7x well, so that means to me investing in sports is probably a good investment right because no matter how bad you are of a manager you have a good exit strategy it's interesting because um yeah you said the NFL they wanted to distance themselves because of all the accusations of the toxic workplace, sexual harassment, FedEx field, which is the, the field that they play in is, you know, pretty run down. It's, it's been a long time and he hasn't been able to secure a new stadium. The LPs don't like him. Like, you know, they it, did it a, seems like they did a, um, a player survey, a report card for, you know, your team conditions, like in terms of like the facilities, the, the training, the, the food, the travel, the commander's got an F in four of the eight categories, I think. And that's the thing. I mean, the congressional investigation, the leaks, the people coming forward saying that they were pressured not to, they were like compensated not to bring harassment claims. And there's this toxic culture controversy with the cheerleaders, all this different stuff. The John Gruden email leaks. I mean, it's really just like you can't make this up. And apparently Dan Snyder hired investigators, private investigators to dig up dirt on the other owners because he was more focused on having dirt against them than sort of improving the conditions of his team. Yeah. So I think everyone in the D.C. area is going to benefit if there's a sale because Josh Harris, is he's been a great owner yeah. for the Sixers. Yeah. Presumably he would do the same thing for the commanders. Dan Snyder is a self-made billionaire right like he built a business dropped out of college built a business and sort of like grassroots marketing then got into sort of telemarketing and started this business went public became the youngest ceo of a new york stock exchange traded company when at the age of 32 bought the then redskins at the age of 34 so like this guy i mean love him or hate him he's really good at business yeah I mean, really good at business, but can you imagine being that successful so young? Well, the league has to approve the sale. Okay. So okay. that's a condition of every sale. The league has to approve the buyer. And currently, Josh Harris does own a, a piece of the Steelers. Right. So he'd have to sell that right. in right. order to complete the deal. He's got a minority but stake, right? I don't know that they're necessarily influencing who the buyer is. They have to approve the terms of the sale. Right. I think Josh Harris has been vetted and like he's, he's own, he owns other teams. Uh, I also, I think he has an interest in a Premier League team. Yeah, Crystal Palace. Yeah, so I think he'll probably get whatever NFL approval. And and to be clear, he Dan Snyder was not ousted by the NFL, so that would require 24 of the owners to vote to right. kick Dan Snyder out of the, the league. 
and that never happened. There were a couple owners last fall that said maybe they'd be willing to have the vote, but it never got that far. But I think the pressure and just the the sheer amount of public scrutiny, congressional scrutiny, there's a DA investigation in, in Virginia into what he was doing as the the owner of the team. I think all of that stuff, he was, you know, that's why he and his wife were just like, all right, you know, we're going to sell. And then the they're sort of like, the consequence is, they get $6 billion. Yeah, um, and the New York Times wrote um, just about what you were saying. New York Times wrote, in November 2022, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia opened a criminal investigation into allegations. Snyder and the team were also sued by the Attorneys General of Virginia and the District of Columbia. The latter case was settled with the team agreeing to pay a $425,000 fine and a refund of about $200,000 in deposits to season ticket holders. Yeah, this guy is like despised. He's like, yeah, making a nice seven B. And it's funny though, and I think this six. is correct. Well, I've maybe heard, six, maybe six, seven. Yeah, maybe six or seven. Um, in uh, twenty twenty two, Forbes ranked the Commanders as the eighth most valuable team in sports, ahead of the L.A. Lakers and Man United. And you'd think that that wouldn't be well, you the know case. Why? Well, we talked about that because the NFL makes between ten and twelve billion a year yeah. in media rights right. and they're locked in for the next decade. So that's why these valuations are so high because in addition to the media rights, you have everything else. And then, you know, he also owns the stadium. And so he gets that revenue too, because it's a great real estate play. I know the stadium needs a lot of work sure. and he's been trying to get public financing to get a new one, but he's just so despised in the area <laughs> that was never going to happen. Maybe this changes with Josh Harris, but it absolutely is a billionaire's club. I mean, if you look at the owners of, NFL franchises and really any major professional sports yeah. franchise. It's yeah. all, you know, billionaires. Yeah. So look, maybe with the new owner brings in, you know, new potential public financing for a great new stadium with new facilities, brings in potentially more money. Maybe they can get this team back to where everybody wants it to go. Who knows? Well, they were great. I mean, before he bought them, they had won three Super Bowls. Right. They were one of the premier, you know, in the Joe Gibbs era, they were one of the premier franchises in the NFL. He sort of made them into a laughing stock. Right, which is um, unfortunate. I'm sure everyone's going to be happy to see him go, unfortunately, with oh so seven, six or seven billion dollars. I'm sure he'll be happy to take the money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. good for him. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Let's see. We'll Hopefully, we'll have an update in, in the coming weeks. We'll see everyone next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.